Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to um, Ephesians chapter 3, this great prayer of the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Let's hear the word of God. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to study this passage and come to study this glorious prayer, we pray for your help. We pray for this strength. We pray for your grace. We pray that you will enable us to comprehend the incomprehensible. We pray that you will help us to know and experience and, and in a sense, Father, that you would draw near to us and help us that these things would be real in our lives as well. Father, we come to you today and we just want to meet with you over your word. And so please meet with us now. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I've quoted Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones several times and he says about this prayer that he felt that this was the very summit of all of the Bible that this, you don't get to a higher place than anything than what is being said in this prayer. And then he quickly said after that, that that means that, uh, he said, but what's interesting is that when you study the commentaries on this, is that they almost kind of brush over it. They don't really know what to say about it. And, 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 and that's actually true. It's, it's, there's, there's such a glory here that it's very difficult at times to even get people to comment on this. Uh, properly. And you can understand that. Look at verse 19 alone. We haven't even gotten there yet. We're not going to get there today, but look at 19 alone. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. To know something that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. This is, this is incredible stuff. This is a, it is a prayer. It is a prayer for, for strength. It's a prayer for Grace. It's a prayer that we would grasp something that, that is so difficult to grasp, but so glorious. It's, it's a prayer that actually prays that we would, we would be able to grab onto something of God and sort of hold on for dear life. That, that's really what this prayer is like. I think of, um, in, if you go back in, in history, harpoonists. I don't know if you've ever seen anything about harpoonists, but 
Those guys are amazing, quite frankly. <laughs> you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna row out in a boat where there's this big whale, and then you're going to stand there, and you're going to throw this spear at it, and then there's a rope on that thing, and the whale is not happy, and he takes off, and literally you hold on for dear life, uh, and, and the boat gets pulled along as the, as the whale goes along and as the whale is dying. There's a sense in which this, this, uh, this prayer is like that. It's, it's praying for grace and strength, to grasp onto who God is and to hold on and, and to experience God. It's, it's glorious stuff. Now, some of you may be thinking at this point, well, Todd, you're talking about how theologians can't even describe this, how commentaries don't. This is too much. This is for very special people, for the saints, as, as, as the Roman Catholic Church does it, the saints. This is for super theologians. And that's not true at all. That's not true at all. It, this isn't for the intelligent. This isn't, that's, that's not true at all. Because notice, for instance, in the prayer itself, look at verse 18. He's praying that we may be able to comprehend, and notice what he says here, with all the saints. Now, that's not talking about St. Joseph, St. Mary, and all that, because that's not biblical. That's not how the Bible speaks. In fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul identifies all of the believers in Ephesus as saints. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. In the Bible, every Christian is called a saint. A saint means one who has been set apart by God, set apart for God, set apart to live a holy life. And so this, this passage is for all Christians, and Paul is praying that all Christians would experience this. But not only that, kids, look at chapter 6 and verse 1. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. What's chapter 6 and verse 1 say, kids? Paul writes, children... Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Now, what, we're not going to open that passage up today, but notice Paul is addressing the children in the Ephesian church. Paul believes that the children are listening while this letter is being read, and so Paul is also includes in his prayer the children. Look at verse 5. Bond servants, those are slaves, slaves who are in the Ephesian church. And so Paul thinks that this glorious, mighty prayer and what is to be grasped through this prayer and what we're to be praying for is to experience by children, to experience by slaves, to be experienced by every single Christian. So don't be discouraged as we're climbing the depths of Mount Everest here, uh, the heights of Mount Everest here, feeling like this is too much for you. It's not. It's not. See what God has in here for us. Now, this prayer, as we've looked at before, builds step by step by step. And you have to be patient as we go through the steps because each step is important. So let's review where we're at so far. In verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here he's praying to the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. And he's talked about that family in, uh, at the end of chapter 2, this new humanity, this new people, this new family of God. And then he says this, that, here's the prayer, that he would grant you, that God would give you something. He would give you, according to the riches of his glory, God would reach into that deep, reach uh, the treasures of his riches, to be strengthened with might. First, of, first step, this is a prayer that we would be strengthened with God's might, that we would be giving God's grace, that we would be giving his help in that sense. Strengthen with might through the spirit in the inner man. And then verse 17, this is what we looked at last week, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. 
that Christ would take up residence, that Christ would live in you, and in such a way, in living with you, you would get to know him, experience him, you would become familiar with him, Christ's residence in your life would be real. It's the difference between an Airbnb and, and somebody has a building and they and a house and they rent it out as an Airbnb. If they rent it out as an Airbnb, then people will come in for one or two days and they'll stay and then they'll leave. They'll stay and they'll leave. You don't get to know them very much. You might even you might even not even meet them, but they stay and they leave. Now that's a big difference than somebody having a spouse move in. They get married, and the spouse moves in and brings all of his or her stuff, and she lives there, and you dwell with her, and you experience her. And that's the word that's being used here, to live and to dwell, that Christ would live and dwell in you, that Christ would be resident in you. You would experience Christ living in you. And then he goes on to say this, and this is what we're going to focus on today. He says this, that you being rooted and grounded in love. You being rooted and grounded in love. Now, Paul uses two illustrations here. One is rooted, rooted. Now, here, what I want you to think of is I want you to think of a massive tree, a massive tree. Uh, many of you remember our old house. We had this big, huge oak tree in our backyard. It was 16 feet around. It was massive. Its root system went out very, very far. The, in, in, in times like this, when it was dry, the grass would be dead for all around because that tree was sucking up so much. I actually did the calculation because we used to have a swimming pool, uh, an above-the-ground swimming pool next to that tree, and I did the calculation once uh, of what they calculate how much a tree that big would, and it was equivalent to drinking that swimming pool every day. They said, one man told me that that tree has to be on an underground aquifer of some sort, an underground spring, for it to be that big. And, that, and I want you to think of a tree like that, where its tap roots go deep, deep down into the soil. And in fact, uh, one time I worked for an arborist, and we, one of the things that we did was we would feed certain trees in, in parks and everything. And when you feed a tree, you actually put things into the ground, you, you poke holes in the ground and you put these nutrients in the ground. And he told me, we have to go all the way out to where the farthest leaves are because the root system in a tree goes out as far as the farthest leaves are. These massive, huge root system, these deep root systems. And if any of you have seen, I'm sure you have, maybe you haven't noticed it, but I've, I've noticed it often, especially stream side where a stream will wash out or something and, 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 a, and a tree will blow over, a massive tree will blow over. And when that tree blows over, there's, a, there's then standing there like this, its whole root system. And I've seen root systems that were way taller than I am, massive root system. But the thing that always amazes me is I would see huge rocks like this, big boulders that that tap, that root system went down and sort of surrounded those boulders. And when the wind took that tree down, the root system pulled up these big boulders that were stuck inside the root system. And that's the kind of thing that Paul was talking about. He wants us to be rooted, rooted. And then, of course, the second word that he used here is grounded. And that's a found, that actually it comes from the building trades. That's having a foundation, to lay a foundation to make something stable. That's what the word means. Lay a foundation to make something stable so that it won't, it won't, it won't tilt. Now, as some of you know, I, I've 
gotten into ham radio recently, and some of the guys that I've met have put antennas in their backyard. Not, not like even close to what we see with these radio towers that are being put around all around us now. But in order to do their antenna and to get it up, in, you know, the engineers tell them, they've had, to, they've, had to, they've had to build these big, dig these four by four things four feet down and fill them with concrete. And I'm thinking, just for that little antenna, you had to do that. Could you imagine what to do for one of these big antennas, let alone for a skyscraper? And this is the kind of uh, thing that he, he's saying here. Paul wants us to be rooted, to be grounded, to have this deep, deep foundation in something. In what? Well, notice what he says in the text. That you would be being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Now, why is he saying this? Like, what's the purpose of that in this context? And the purpose of that in this context is this sense of being able to grasp. Now, notice here that Paul is praying. This is, this is sort of a dramatic prayer here. It's like, I pray that God would give you out of his riches to be strengthened with might, to be rooted and grounded. And we haven't even gotten to the main request yet, that you would grasp the vastness of the love of Christ for you. That's the prayer. So go back to rooted and grounded. Part of this is that you would be able, you'd be grounded enough to be able to experience and grasp this great love of Christ. That's what he is praying here. And so it, it's kind of like a harpoonist. I would imagine a harpoonist, when he throws that harpoon and that rope goes out, he's probably tied to the boat, you know, just to be grounded and, and rooted. And that's what Paul is saying here, that you would be have a foundation, you would have tap roots that would enable you to grasp and experience Christ in his fullness. That's the prayer. That's the prayer. Well, what do these roots grow into? What is the bedrock that this foundation is built on? And in the context, again, you always have to look in the context. In the context, the primary focus that Paul has been focusing on is Christ. It's interesting because the, the book of Je Ephesians has this flow. And I didn't pick this up until I studied it this time. The first section, chapter 1, and, 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 and part of first half of chapter 2, focuses on God the Father. But then it shifts. And now the focus comes to be on Christ and who Christ is. And you notice this in the, in, in the text. And so Paul is, is preaching. He in fact, he even talks about Christ being a foundation. Look at chapter 2 and verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the... I'm sorry, verse, verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Now notice, though, the emphasis on Christ in the third chapter. Look at verse 3. I'm sorry, third chapter, verse 1. I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus. Look at verse 4, the mystery of Christ. Look at verse 6, his promise in Christ. Look at verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at verse 9, God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 14, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17, that Christ may dwell. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ. Verse 21, may he be glorified in the church by Jesus Christ. The focus here is Jesus Christ. That's who the tap roots, that's who the foundation is to go into. And I'll show you this in another passage. Please turn in your Bibles a couple chapters. Chapter, uh, through the book of after the book of Ephesians to the book of Colossians. Look in Colossians chapter two and verses six and seven. Colossians two six and seven. 
And, and I'd like you to mark this because we're going to come back to this in the application. But notice what he says here. He says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now here are the two words again. Rooted and built up in him and established, there's that idea of being, of being grounded and established, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it in thanksgiving. So notice here, Paul wants the Christians to be rooted in Christ, to have their tap roots go into Christ. He wants them to be grounded, to be founded, to have their foundation sitting on the bedrock of Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians, he actually uh, 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 sort of focuses this a little bit more when he talks about being rooted and grounded. Go back to Ephesians now. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. And so it, it's in sense, if we could add to this here what Paul is saying, I want you to be rooted and grounded in Christ in the love of Christ, in Christ's love, I want you to be rooted and grounded. I'm praying that God would root you and ground you in that. So let's step back. What is this love of Christ then? What is this that he's referring to? Well, let's even step further back and just think about who Je Jesus comes to earth. He starts teaching and he teaches. He, abs he absolutely starts a revolution of love. A revolution of love. Jesus is, is, is asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments in the Old Testament? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is this. Love God with everything that's in you. That's, that sums up all of it. That's the whole duty of man. Love God with all of you, God. Then Jesus says, also, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Care about your neighbor. Genuinely care about your neighbor. How he's doing, his well-being, her well-being, care about it. Even if your neighbor doesn't like you. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Samaritan, he comes along and there's a Jew. Jews hate Samaritans. Samaritans hate Jews. This guy, if this guy wasn't all beat up and bleeding over there, he'd hate me. But the Samaritan saw him as his neighbor, and he, and he loved him, and he cared for them. Jesus, Jesus' revolution of love is love your neighbor. But then Jesus ratches it up even more and says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. If he slaps you, turn the other cheek. If he curses you, bless him. Pray for him. Genuinely pray for your enemy and, and seek to do him good. Love your enemy. And then he tells his disciples, and I, I didn't get a chance to put this on the screen, but I'm just going to read it. In John 13, he says this. During the Last Supper, Jesus says this. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. These are like the dying words of Jesus. That you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus came and taught. He came from the Father, came to earth as the very Son of God and taught us love, love, love. And guess what? His followers really got the message. I'll give you an example. We'll put it on the screen. John, 1 John 4. This is the Apostle John. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's John. How about Paul? Saul of Tarsus, who met Jesus on the road. How about him? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. Although I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And then at the end of the chapter, he says this in verse 13, now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. How about the Apostle James? He, James writes this in James 2.8. If you really fulfill, now notice the words here. The royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. James calls love your neighbor as yourself the royal law, the kingly law. Peter got it too. 1 Peter 1.22 says this. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Jesus taught us he started a revolution of love, love, love. Now, we need to understand something here, folks. Love is the most powerful thing upon the earth. Love is the most powerful. Love doesn't make you win. Some people say, oh, Christians are so wimpy. They're just love, 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 love. I was talking with somebody in Sunday school. David uh, and I were talking, and uh, he said that, uh, that in India, uh, the, the prime minister is now trying to make it a Hindu nation. And I said, isn't that strange? Because India is the most populated nation now in the world, and it has a massive amount, millions of Christians, millions of Muslims, as well as millions of Hindus. And David said, yeah, well, as soon as he starts going after the Muslims, they're going to fight. And I said, and interestingly, the Christians won't. The Christians won't. Because we, our leader has taught us to love. Our leader has taught us to love. But you see, that doesn't make Christians weak. Love is the most powerful thing on earth. It's the most powerful thing on earth. Imagine a parent who sees their child in danger. Parents will, will face any kind of danger to, to, to deliver that child out of love, out of love. Or family, or deep friends, people that you love, people will sacrifice for them out of love. People will, will face danger. They'll face death. They will die out of love to protect and some, help somebody else. People will put immense amount of effort motivated by love and immense amount of sacrifice. They'll go through immense amount of pain, immense amount of discomfort, all motivated by love. Some people are motivated by pride. Some people are motivated by hatred. Some people are motivated, but nothing has the sticking and the power and the ability to endure and the ability to sacrifice and the ability to go through so much as love. Love will care for people. Love will nurse them so they come back to health. Love will protect them. Love will work hard to supply them with food. Love will work hard to supply them with shelter. Love will make massive sacrifices if during times of war and crisis to make sure that they're, sa they're safe. Love is actually way more powerful than hatred because love has the ability to actually overcome hatred 
and turn it to love. This is why Jesus told us to love our enemies. Win them. Win them. Win them with the most powerful thing in the world, to love. See, people think that by when you get slapped in the face, if you don't punch them back, you're weak. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not weak. You're strong. And Jesus, through his love and through his love for us and his acts, Jesus, through his love, defeats Satan, defeats legions of demons, defeats sin, and defeats death because of his love and his love that's sent into the cross. And this is what Jesus is all about. And it is through Jesus that the love of God the Father is revealed and displayed. In many ways, Ephesians is just a book about love. It's a book about love. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For just as he chose us in him, God the Father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which is love. God in love chose us before the foundation of the world, and God in love, love for us, gave us to Jesus. And Jesus in love accepted us and took on all of the responsibility of what it meant to love us. It was love that sent Jesus to earth. The father gave up his son and sent his son to earth. It was love that sent his son to earth. In 1 John 4, 9, John writes this, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we would live through him. It was love. It was God's love, this powerful, great, amazing thing called love, that sent his son into the world. And it was love that Jesus came. It was love that Jesus came. Love, love, Jesus left heaven. He left the glory. He left the joy of heaven. He left the peace of heaven. He left the love of heaven. He left all of the beauty of heaven. He left all the accolades and, 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 and prestige and authority that he had as the master and Lord of all things, as the very son of God. He left that all. He put that all aside. He walked away from all of that out of love for us to come and rescue us. It was love, this powerful thing called love. It was love that made Jesus so humble himself he became a baby, a little baby, a baby. Jesus became a baby that had to be fed in order to survive. A baby who had to have his diapers changed. A baby who needed blankets around him to keep him warm and the warmth of his parents to keep him warm. A baby who needed to be protected, the Lord of all glory, the master and chief general of all of the armies of heaven, humbled himself out of love to become a baby for us. It was love that drove him resolutely to the cross. It was love that made him not stop but go straight to the cross and die upon the cross. It was love. Jesus, out of love, gave his life on the cross. Jesus, out of love, died upon the cross. He gave himself. He gave all, he gave his entire, how do you, how do you give your whole self to that? Jesus, out of love, gave his whole self for us. Jesus, out of love, had spikes driven through his hands. 
Out of love, he allowed spikes. He allowed it. He could have called 10,000 angels. He allowed spikes to be driven through his hand. And that's the power of love. The power of love, he allowed that to happen to him. Jesus, out of love, was hung upon the cross. Jesus, out of love, took our guilt upon him. He took our sins, all of our ugly sins, he took them upon himself. And then he was punished for those sins out of love. Give your sins to me. Give your sins to me. I will take them out of love. He did this out of love. He took all of our sins. And then he was punished for them. He was executed for them. He suffered them. Our, out of love, Jesus placed himself in the most dangerous place ever imaginable. And that was as the unique target of all of our sins, the unique target of the Father's holy wrath and justice. All of justice was poured out upon him. All of the wrath was poured out upon him. At his absolute weakest moment with spikes through his hands, spikes through his feet, having been savagely beaten, hanging upon that cross, and now, and now, the absolute wrath of the Father comes upon him. The sun darkens. It's like nighttime there. It's eerie. It's scary. It's weird. Blood pouring down his arms. He calls out to his father, and his father has forsaken him in that sense. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back upon me? Why are you treating me like sin, like nothing? Why is all of your anger, all of your wrath directed toward me? Jesus, out of love, put himself in that place. Love caused him to give his life for us. Love caused him to die for us. Love caused him to go through death. The very son of God didn't have to go through death. He was in heaven. He was eternal. He was a spirit. He didn't have to take on a body. He didn't have to go through death. But love motivated him. Love motivated him. And that's why a Christian can look at this love for God and recognize this was love. This was love. First John, it says in the next verse, 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the one who takes away the wrath. He sent his son to be a propitiation for us. This is what it means. And this is why the apostle Paul could say, and he never, ever got over this. In fact, I think it just increased his amazement. The son of God loved me and gave himself. For me. Oh, dear ones, this is what we're to be rooted and grounded in. And it's to have a powerful impact upon our lives. In 1 John 4 11, we've looked at 1 John 4 9, we've looked at 1 John 4 10, and in 1 John 4 11, then John writes this Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then in 1 John 4 19, Paul writes, John writes this We love him because he first loved us. And so this is what we're to be rooted and grounded in. We're to be rooted and grounded in love. We're to be rooted and grounded in Christ and in Christ's love. We're to be, the, our taproots are to go deep in this, our foundation. Well, how do we do this? How do we get our taproots down there? How do we lay a foundation in the love of Christ? And here I'm just going to give you some ingredients. I'm going to give you some ingredients they're, 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 it's a kind of a list of ingredients. If you're going to bake a cake or something, this is like a list of ingredients. Come back to, to, with me to Colossians 2. We'll let Colossians 2 make. But I'm just going to give you a list of ingredients of what we need to do to get our taproots to go deep in Jesus. How does this work? 
Well, Paul teaches us this, in, for instance, in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Notice what he says. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. First ingredient, receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Bring Christ Jesus into your life. Open your heart to him and say, Lord Jesus, come. Come and live in me. Come, come, be mine. I receive you. I welcome you. I'm yours. I'm yours. Be mine. Come, come. You know, sometimes people say, you ask them, are you, are you, are you a Christian? They'll say, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. And I'm like, really? That would be like, like somebody saying to me, are you, Todd, are you married to Jan? I'm saying, I'm not sure I'm married to Jan. Hmm, just not sure I'm married to Jan. And somebody would say to you, what do you mean you're not sure you're married to Jan? Did you say, I do? Well, yeah, I did do that. Did you have a marriage license? Yeah. Does she live in your... Yeah. Have you lived together 44 years? Yeah. Do you take care... Yeah. Have you been kept... Yeah. What do you mean you're not sure? Well, the same thing I would say to the person, I'm not sure I believe it. What do you mean? The very Son of God died for you? The very Son of God lives within you? Do you have been transformed? You better be sure... You should be sure. You should at least know, yeah, something's going on. Yeah. He's a yes. I'm yes, I've invited him in. Yes. You know what? I am married to Jan. Yes, I said yes. I committed. Yes, I stood before people and I committed my life to her. Yes, I, I have a, a wedding. Yes, I, I've got all of this stuff that says, yes, I'm married to her. It's the same thing. Yes, I'm, I'm all in. I've given myself to Jesus. I've welcomed him in. I've embraced him. I've received him into my life. I trust in him. I believe in him. Not perfectly. I fall short all the time. But I'm telling you what, it's real. You can't take Jesus from me. Nobody's taking Jesus from me. I'm falling. That's what it means. Receive Jesus, okay? Bring him into your life, all right? That's what Paul says. Now, notice how, what he goes on next. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in Christ. Second ingredient. First, receive. Second, walk. Walk in Jesus. Now, this, this means, this, we use this phrase, by the way, walk the walk. You talk the talk, walk the walk. Walk your talk, whatever. Walk it. And what we mean by that is order your life, direct your entire life in the context of who Jesus is. Walk with him. Walk in companionship with him. Walk in obedience to him. Walk near him. Live your life with Jesus. That's why people say, well, I'm not sure I'm a believer. Well, listen, I know I'm married to Jan because she says to me, take the garbage out. <laughs> she does. She says to me, hey, pick up those dirty socks. I sit down and there's a beautiful meal. I'm, I, 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 she wakes up in the morning and she's cheerful all the time and, 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 and she cheers me up. I know, I, I, live, I walk with her. Walk with Jesus, live with Jesus, talk with Jesus, relate to Jesus, know Jesus, have him in your life. That's what Paul is saying here. So notice, number one, receive. Number two, walk. Then notice what he says next. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And here's another important part. Faith. Trust in Jesus. Believe upon him. Take him as, your, as his word. Exercise your faith. Jesus doesn't feel real to me. Then start believing. Start exercising your faith. Faith is seeing the unseen. Start seeing the unseen. Start reaching out to him and believing and trusting and stop doubting. And start. Faith is more than feelings. I don't feel him. I don't care what you feel. Believe. 
Believe. Look. Believe. Take him at his word. Know he's true. Believe. That's, what, that's the third ingredient, faith. Look at the fourth ingredient. He says this. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught. Learn of him, because that's how you abound, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Learn of him, be taught, be taught. This is part important part of the teaching ministry of the church. It's an important part of you studying, you reading your Bible, you knowing him. This is the important part, to be taught. Then finally, I would add this, prayer. The fifth ingredient is prayer. And here we go back to Ephesians 3. Isn't Ephesians 3 a prayer? It's a prayer. Paul is praying that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. Pray these things in. Pray that God would do them. Pray that God would make them real. Pray that they would be true for you. And then I would add number six, and I think this is really what this prayer is eventually going to lead us to anyway, and that's this. Live a life of loving pursuit of Christ. Live a life of loving pursuit of Christ. Not pursuit of feelings, not pursuit of experiences, although there's, there's going to be lots of that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not denying that. Pursuit of a person. Pursuit of Christ. Live a life of loving pursuit of Christ. You say, Todd, wait a minute. I am so busy. I have to work two jobs. I am so busy. I'm a, stay I'm a mom who has children. I can't even think a single thought on my own hardly. I've got so many demands upon me. I, my life just seems so hectic. There's no way I can live a life of loving pursuit of Christ. Well, you know, part of this letter here was written to slaves. Okay? Now, slavery was a huge part of Roman culture back then. I want to ask you something. And these slaves, by the way, would get married. They would actually, they were allowed to marry, and they, they got married. Let me ask you this. How did a slave ever get about to being married? How did a slave ever find a wife and get married? How did a slave ever fall in love with a woman, get her to fall in love with him, and get married to anybody? He's a slave. He's working seven days a week. They didn't have slave unions there. They didn't have slave day, pay, personal paid off days. They didn't have slave. He was a slave every How did he find the time to find a woman fall in love with her, spend time with her, have her fall in love with him, and get married, move in, take up residency, and love and know this woman. How did he do it? I have no idea, but guess what? He did. He did. You know what motivated him? Love. And so what I'm saying to you and I is this. If a busy slave in Roman times could pursue a loving relationship with a woman, you and I can live a life of loving pursuit of Christ. It's the exact same thing in many ways. Get a, here's, here's what it looks like. Get alone with Christ whenever you can. Get alone with Christ whenever you can and talk and pray and exercise faith 
and spend time with him and experience his grace, experience his glory, experience his love, experience who he is. Get alone with Christ whenever you can. Get taught about Christ whenever you can. Listen when Christ's word is being preached. Many of these slaves were illiterate. They didn't, couldn't even read the Bible. They lived on the Sunday sermon. Get taught. Get taught. Listen. Learn. Learn as much as you can about Christ. And you're going to find that as you get alone with him, your tap roots are going to go deeper and deeper in him. The foundation of your love for him and your relationship with him is going to go deeper and deeper. As you listen, as you learn, as you take in the truths about Christ, your taproots are going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Your foundation is going to get more and more deeper. Think about him. Meditate on him. I'm, I'm, my slave guy who, who married this gal, my slave guy, when he was out there slaving, his heart was growing in love for her because he was thinking about her the whole time. Even while he was working, he was thinking about her. He was thinking about the last conversation he had. He was thinking about how he'd like to marry her. He was thinking about her, and his love was growing. The same way, dear ones, we need to love Christ. And we need to think about him and meditate on him and think often of him. When you get in your car, shut the radio off. Meditate on Christ. Think about him. Talk to him. Pray to him. Think about what you learn about him. Think about what you know about him. And then I would also add this, get around people who are rooted and grounded themselves because they will have a huge influence on you. Get around them, be with them, hang out with them, listen to them. And I'm talking about people who are alive and some who are dead. Read their writings, read their books, listen to them. We're just about to sing in a few minutes a song. And I want you to pay particular attention to the third and fourth verse. This is, the song is written by one of the most uh, well-known men who walked near Christ. And his writings have inspired many, including myself. This hymn will inspire. And I want you to look at how he envisions heaven and what's important to him, or more better, who's his love, why he's so thrilled to be in heaven. Be around people who are deeply rooted and grounded. And what you're going to find is that the truths of Christ and who Christ is, those truths, who he is, his person, himself, the taproots are going to go deeper and deeper into him. The foundation is going to be built in him. And you're going to come to a point, and Matt actually illustrated this. It's too bad it came before the sermon instead of after. But Matt illustrated this in the call to worship when he was talking about the very Son of God died for See, you're going to get to a point where you're going to say, you actually died for me. It's not going to be a theology at this point. It is going to be theology, but not just that. You died for me. Wow. Wow. The very Son of God died for me. I love shocking people these days. When I'm talking to people, I'll, I'll say to them something like this. So, you know, you're, I hear you're a pastor. Oh, you know, you're one of those good to go. I said, no, no. I said, I am going to go to heaven. I'm so thankful I'm going to heaven. I'm so excited. I am going to go to heaven. But I'm going to heaven because God's son, the very son of God, was executed on my behalf. I tell people that now. I say those words. But I've never lost, and I'm, it's only been growing, the wonder and mystery. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave himself, 
himself in all of his glorious person for me. Jesus Christ loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ, the very son of God, gave his life for me. Jesus Christ took all of Todd's wretched sins and took them to the cross. And this amazement of that grows. The foundation then grows in me. And here's the foundation. My identity is him. For me to live is him. To die would be great because I'll go and be with him. That's what Paul talked about. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul would, Paul would introduce himself, hi, slave of Jesus. I, I, my, I, who are you? I'm, I'm his slave. My entire identity is him. Who he is, what he's done, what he's done for me, what he means to me. I live for his glory. I breathe for his glory. I use my strength, my mind, my heart, my life. Every decision I make is all based on will it bring glory to him. It's my way of saying thank you to him. It's my way of telling him that I love him. This is what it means to be rooted and grounded in Christ. Rooted and grounded in love. I have so experienced his love that I've given up being me. I'm, I'm for him. I exist for him. He's my life. He's my everything. He's my all. That's what it means to be rooted and grounded in Christ. Oh, dear ones, let us live a life of loving pursuit of Christ. And the foundations will go deeper and deeper. And the taproots will go deeper and deeper. And we will find our identity in him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we, we just are so amazed that you would love us. I mean, we don't even like ourselves most of the time. But you deeply love us and you died for us. You died for us. We can all think of maybe a few people who would actually die for us. But you did. You died for us. You loved us. You came for us. You came to rescue us. You're for us. The very Son of God. You are, you gave your whole self for us. Thank you. Thank you. Help us to live a life pursuing you. Thank you. We praise you in your precious name.